Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Oh, oh. Appreciate it. I got one clap from my wife. What's up, everybody? How we doing? Good to see you guys. Thank you for being here today. I'm going to slide up a little more, get a little closer to you. Um, my name is Caleb, and my wife and I, Chrissy, are the lead pastors of this amazing church. You guys know you're amazing. You are amazing, man. I love you so much. We love you. Have I told you lately that I love you? I don't know if I have, but I want to tell you again, uh, man, we just feel blessed to be pastoring this church in a very tough season. And uh, we're in the, the middle of the book of Mark. We've been walking through the book of Mark for two years. We're coming up on two years through the book of Mark. And it looks like it's going to take us two and a half years to get through the entire book. We go verse by verse through books of the Bible um, because we believe God speaks to us through the word. And we can't run from any topic when we go verse by verse. Um, but we'll take little breaks along the way to hit on other series. And uh, in fact, coming up, um, we're kicking off a Christmas series in just a couple weeks. How many are ready for Christmas? Can you believe it? It is almost December, and uh, we're excited for the Christmas series coming in December. But if you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 10. I'm going to be reading from there today. Uh, but this week, I googled great leaders, because I want to talk to you today about leadership. And uh, I googled, I typed into Google, I don't know if you use Google, it's, it's great, um, but I typed into Google great leaders, and here was the first image that came up. Boom. First image that I saw when I typed in great leaders was an image of a platform. And I think this is indicative of what our culture perceives as leadership. Like culture perceives this, a podium, a platform, an audience as leadership. But how many of you know the Word of God actually talks to us about leadership in a whole different way? This is not leadership. Like, I'm up here, and I get to teach and talk from God's Word, and there are aspects of leadership that come from here, but this is not indicative of what leadership is. In fact, Jesus, in Mark 10, we're going to see, talks to us about what leadership looks like. And so then I went on, and, and the images kept popping up, and individuals started popping up. So first person that popped up when I typed in great leaders, Martin Luther King Jr., literally changed, transformed our nation and many nations as it relates to race, inclusivity, everything. It went on. Nelson Mandela, South Africa, an amazing leader, president of that country, um, along the same lines of bringing racial reconciliation, went on. Steve Jobs, I don't know about this pose, but you guys all know Steve Jobs uh, created the iPhone, Apple, all of these things um, changed the world. Next one was John F. Kennedy. Keep going, one of our presidents. Ask not what your country friend can do for you, what you can do for your country. Abraham Lincoln literally walked us through the most challenging time in our country's history, the Civil War. And then the last one that popped up was very interesting, Michael Scott, world's best boss. Great leaders. This was one of the ones. The self-proclaimed. He said he bought that for himself. If you've ever watched The Office, if you haven't, you're missing out. John Maxwell said this about leadership. A leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. 
And so what I want to talk to you about today, the title of my message today is A Last Leader. Everybody say last leader. A last leader. You see, biblical leaders are more committed to being last than being Lord. I'm going to say it again. Biblical leaders are more committed to being last than being Lord. So I'm going to do something today. I'm going to dig in, teach from this text on leadership. And I want to encourage you because some of you out there are going, Caleb, I'm not a leader. You are. And I actually think back to when I was in high school and I had a youth pastor that came to me and he said, Caleb, you are an amazing leader. And I said, what are you talking about? And I laughed at him. I said, I'm not a leader. Like, I don't lead. He said, you don't understand how people follow you. You don't see what I see and the leadership that's in you. And I want to tell you that that spoke and I believe launched something in my heart that made me begin to believe in the leadership ability that God had put in me. And I wanted to speak the same thing over you because I look out in this room and I see leaders. And I hear God saying, there is leadership in you. People are following you. You don't even realize it. But people are watching your steps. They're watching your actions. They're watching what you say, what you do. You are leaders in this room. You lead in different spheres in different ways. You lead your families and your friends. You lead in your jobs with your coworkers. You are leaders. And today I want to talk to you about what a last leader looks like. So let's read from Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read uh, quite a few verses. So I need you all to focus with me. Everybody say focus. I need you to focus with me. When I, I played basketball in college and uh, at my home games, there was a, a fan and it wasn't a huge college, so there was about 1,000 to 1,200 people usually in the gym um, for every home game. And a uh, small Christian college. And there was a guy who had season tickets to our team, and he sat on like the second row, dead center. And every time I got up to shoot free throws, you know, you're, it's a home game, so the, the gym goes quiet. They want you to focus. I'd be about to shoot a free throw, and he would yell out, focus, Caleb, Focus. And he would do it every time, and every time I lost focus. So I'm going to encourage you guys today to focus as I read from God's word, but I'm not going to yell it at you because that might mess you up. So here we go. Mark chapter 10, focus, Project Church, focus. Here we go. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, let me go back. I jumped ahead. Verse 32. And they were on the road. I'm going to get there. Going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John the sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, 
but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. We're almost there. When the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, may you speak to us from your word. May you bless us in the reading of your word. May you allow me to share what it is you want me to share. May we be open to receive what you want us to receive. God, this isn't just about information today. I'm not just conveying information. Lord, I believe there wa- you want there to be transformation in the hearts of people's lives. So, Lord, we pray today that you would move in us, change us, mold us, make us into who you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to look at what I believe is one of the greatest leadership teachings that Jesus has in Scripture and talk to you about what leadership looks like and what a last leader looks like. Because as you saw at the end of that, biblical leaders are more committed to being last than being Lord. Jesus said, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He's called us to have a heart of last, a heart of servanthood, a heart that says, I'm here to serve others. So I want to talk to you about four quick points for you about what a last leader looks like. First, they go where others are afraid to go. How many know we're living in a very fearful culture right now? There's a lot of fear. I mean, people are talking about civil war. We're afraid because this election doesn't feel like it's even over yet. We're like, is this over? Is it not? I mean, they're taking it to court. What's happening? We're, we're afraid. We're afraid because of, of a virus, a pandemic that's happening all around us. There's fear. We're afraid because of economic uncertainty. We don't know. Is my job still going to be there? Is the stock market going to go up, down? What's going to happen? There's so much fear, and yet God's people are not people of fear. We're people of faith. We don't walk with the same perspective that the world carries. We walk with a faith-filled perspective. So what happens here is at the beginning of this text, I read Jesus, actually it says he goes up to Jerusalem. Now you have to understand, it always says that he, you always go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was at 2,500 feet above sea level. So whenever you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. It's uphill. So Jesus and his disciples and his followers, there's hundreds at this time, are making the 15-mile trip. They were down by the, the Dead Sea, and, and they're making the trip up to Jerusalem. And it says that his followers are walking ahead of him or with him, and they were amazed And those who followed were afraid. Everybody say afraid. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? Why would they have been afraid to go to Jerusalem and Jesus has no problem going there? They were afraid because they knew that the religious leaders were just waiting to kill him. 
They knew that the religious leaders had already tried to kill him, had already tried to have him arrested, and Jerusalem is the epicenter of Judaism. It is the epicenter of the religiosity of this day. And they know in going there, Jesus is putting himself in the lion's den. And so they're afraid of what's going to happen, not just to Jesus, but also to them. They're afraid that if they follow Jesus there, that they may be clumped in, lumped in with him because they're following him and they don't know what's going to happen to Jesus, what's going to happen to them, and they're walking with fear. The disciples, amazed, afraid. I got to be honest with you. I was afraid to do church today. We were tiered back to the purples here. Some of you are like, what? I didn't even know. Um, welcome to church. For everybody online, what's up? We're so glad you're watching online with us, but there's some people in the room. And I was afraid, but I really felt like through prayer, my wife and I were in prayer, seeking the Holy Spirit, that the Lord really convicted us that we would have church today. That we would allow a space for people who are hurting and desperate and depressed and anxiety-filled to have a space where we could gather together corporately to worship our God because something changes in the atmosphere when we're together. I'm not saying online doesn't work, and um, I'm not saying we, might, we won't maybe go back to fully online, but we felt like right now in this season with the climate and what's happening in our nation and even in our city that we could do this and we could do it safely. But I got to be honest, like, I was afraid because I saw a lot of other churches shutting down. But I felt like I said, no, I need you to walk with faith. Now, listen, I think this virus is real. Okay, so some of y'all are like, oh, I know who he is now. <laughs> He's one of those. No, I think it's real. But here's what we've seen. We've seen that we can do this and do it safely. We've taken the precautions necessary. We're doing everything we're supposed to do. We have had no spreads in our church. Um, no one, you know, spreading it here present and so we felt like we could do this and I felt like God was saying to me you got to go where others are afraid to go now if you're at risk if you feel sick we're telling you stay home watch online uh, if you have pre-existing conditions but we felt convicted in our spirits that in a state and a season of discouragement that we needed a place where people could come in and feel the presence of God and find hope and so this wasn't a political statement this was a people statement we're here to serve you. We're here for people. And I'm not saying that things couldn't change and we're being cognizant of what's happening around us in hospitals and, and their capacity and all of that. But I am saying that God may call you to do things or to go places that others are afraid to go or afraid to do and you have to decide, are you going to walk in faith or fear? You have to decide, are you going to go where God's calling you to go or not? And that goes for all of you in all aspects of your life. There are times God will ask you and call you to step out to do something that seems irrational. And you have to say, God, am I going to walk in fear or faith? Am I going to go where others are afraid to go? And I got to tell you something. You know what leaders do? They take sometimes what others don't. They take something so that others don't have to take it. And so this week, we got a lot of flack, and we got a lot of negativity. But I said, I'm going to take that. I'm willing to take that for those that need the hope that I believe they're going to find in this room. Was there fear at times in me? Yeah. But I felt 
convicted in my spirit to go where others maybe aren't willing to go. And that's why we're here today. And so this correlates to your life because God is going to ask you to do things that are uncomfortable at times. He's going to ask you to go places that don't make sense. He's going to ask you to reach out and, and, and to sacrifice things. And you won't know how you're going to receive back that which you give up. But when you walk with faith, you trust God no matter what. So first, last leaders go where others are afraid to go. Second, last leaders are patient with people even when they don't get it. How many know sometimes people just don't get it? They just don't get it. Jesus here is explaining to the disciples for the third time that he's going to die. So for the third time, he says, guys, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going down. They're going to deliver me to the chief priests. They're going to condemn me to death, deliver me over to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, spit on me, flog me, and kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. This is the third time he's told the disciples. The second time, Peter re rebuked him. He's like, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. He said, get behind me, Satan. You don't see what I see. You're seeing with man's eyes. Jesus explaining it to them a third time. In Mark chapter 9, which we covered a few weeks back, Jesus tells them a little bit of the details. Now here in Mark 10, he gives them even more details of how it's going to go down. He explains more, and the disciples still don't get it. How do they respond? Right after Jesus says to them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. James and John are like, oh, cool. That's cool, Jesus. So will you give us whatever we ask? Like that's the transition from Jesus going, they're going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise from the dead. And they go, oh, straight up, Jesus, that's cool. Okay, um, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. What do you think? That is their response to Jesus telling about his life being laid down. How many know sometimes people just don't get it? Which, this is a great reminder for us that this gospel following Jesus, that you don't make it about you, but you make it about him. Because I think as Christians, there's a temptation, and, uh, and, and I've had this in my life, that I make my life with Jesus about me rather than about him. I make my purpose about me rather than about him. And here, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who actually are Jesus' cousins, their mom is Mary's sister, that, that in this moment, they respond to Jesus saying, I'm going to die by making it about them. Jesus, will you do whatever we ask of you? And here's what we want you to do. We want you to put us at the right hand, the left hand of you in heaven. It's going to be awesome. We're right next to you. We're on the thrones right next to you. We can't make it about us. James and John, the cousins of Jesus. And I think it's interesting. Uh, actually, we have the, all the Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, we call them, where we can compare and contrast. In Matthew chapter 20, Matthew's account, there's a little more detail. See, Mark is more of a fast-paced, hard-hitting. It's a little more of the cliff notes, I like to say, of Jesus' life because it's the shortest of the Gospels. And then the other Gospels have a little more detail. And in Matthew chapter 20, we have more detail about the story. And actually in verse number 20, we see that it tells us that Mary or, or that James and John, their mom, 
their mom actually comes with them and asks the question. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him. She asked him for something, and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, one at your left, in your kingdom. Their mom asked to elevate them. So where are my mama's boys in the house? Just raise your hand. Mom was always trying to elevate you, wasn't she? And this is what happens here. Their mom asked Jesus for them. Can they be at your right hand, your left hand? And yet, Jesus responds graciously. And I love this because they made it about them. And yet Jesus was still patient with them. He says, you don't know what you're asking. And I just want to tell us today, like, aren't you glad Jesus didn't answer some of the prayers we prayed back then? Because I prayed some prayers back then, and I just thank God every day. Like, God, thank you you didn't answer that. Thank you 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 didn't say yes to that. Or thank you you told me not yet. And I just want to remind you today, like sometimes we ask with wrong intentions and from a wrong place and a wrong heart or with a limited perspective. And so when God says no, I just want to encourage you to remember the times he said no and it worked out for you. And then be okay when he says no in the future. Or maybe when he says not yet and you go, but why? And then a few years down the road you go, oh, I get it now. We got to remember that God may say, no, but it's for a reason. Why? Because God is patient with us. He's not mad at your dumb questions. He invites them. Because we're pretty dumb people, aren't we, sometimes? Jesus is gracious. God is gracious. He's patient. And so I just want to challenge us that we would be patient with people even when they have the wrong perspective. Even when they make wrong requests. Even when they have a wrong heart which James and John did here, their mom did here, they just wanted to be elevated. They wanted to be the top dogs in heaven. Wrong perspective. Wrong heart. And yet Jesus is patient. And I know that there's a lot of people around you that you feel like have a wrong perspective. First of all, recognize that your perspective is not perfect. Why? Because you're not perfect. So let's all just chill out and realize that I may not have the perfect perspective, so I need to have grace on others who who also have an imperfect perspective, number one. But number two, if we know we're right, still be patient with them. Why? Because that is the heart of God. That's what a last leader does. They're patient with people. They don't cancel people. They invite people into a conversation. And they say, let's talk about it. Why? Because I'm here with you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you. Last leaders, third, they call others to a greater purpose. You see, first leaders are only about their purpose. Last leaders are about calling others to a greater purpose. Helping others find their purpose. That's what last leaders do. So verse 38 and 39, they actually, Jesus responds to their question. They're like, hey. Can you give us whatever we want? And he's like, um, well, what do you want? And they're like, oh, well, well we want to be on your right hand and your left hand in heaven. That'd be, that'd be dope. Can we do that? And then Jesus says, well, here's the thing. And he goes into, he says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? And they said to him, we are able. 
Here's the thing about the disciples. They said they're able. They didn't even know what they were getting themselves into. They didn't even know what they were agreeing to. They didn't even understand what is this cup and what is this baptism? What does that mean? You see, the baptism that Jesus is talking about is his death. He's saying, I'm going to die. Is that what you want? He says, you're going to drink the cup. You're going to be baptized in the baptism I baptized into. But here's the thing. They say, we're able. We're down. And I love this about the disciples that they were so quick to say that. And then the first time a sign of trouble, they all ran when Jesus actually got arrested. They actually went back to their old jobs. Like, I guess we're going to go fish again. But we're able. And what does Jesus say? He says, you know what? You can. You can drink this cup. You can walk in this baptism. What's he doing? He's calling them to a greater purpose. Now, they weren't ready for it. And that's why he told them, wait. And when you wait, after I ascend to heaven, the Holy Spirit is going to come down and he's going to live within you. He's going to rest upon you. He's going to do you with power, which is a reminder for us that we need a constant touch of the Holy Spirit from Jesus so we can be the powerful people God's called us to be. Some of you are wondering why you feel far from God. It's because you're not allowing God to speak into you and to touch you every single day. We need to wake up every morning and say, God, I need more of you to walk out my purpose. But Jesus calls them to that greater purpose. And I wanted to tell you today, he says, you are going to suffer. You are going to die, which is interesting because here's what happens. The disciples, all 12 of them, end up dying for Christ. James and John, the ones that said, we want to be at the right hand and the left hand, they're actually the first and the last to die. James is beheaded as the first martyr for Christ by Herod Agrippa. John, the last to die, dies in a concentration camp on the Isle of Patmos. You see, Jesus calls them to that purpose. Sometimes we ask things we don't even know what we're asking for. But what God does is he can speak into us and breathe upon us and release the purpose that he has for us. And we not, may not be ready for it right now, but I want to tell you, if you're open to it and you're inviting it and you're saying, God, I want you to give me your purposes, he will bring it into your life. He will bring it to fulfillment. You have a greater purpose, church. You know your purpose is otherworldly? Which is why we cannot allow ourselves to get sucked into the temperature of this culture, which is an us versus them mentality. Here's what we do. We get sucked into this us versus them mentality. And what we have is this perspective where we say, good, bad. They're bad, I'm good. I'm right, they're wrong. Us versus them. And I've watched people in our own church that are posting like, I've seen who you voted for. I'm keeping an account. And y'all are going to pay the price one day. Let me tell you, I get it emotionally, but that's not the heart of Christ. We cannot have an us versus them mentality in the body of Christ. No, we are called as Christ followers to be peacemakers, to be unifiers. That we say that person that has a wrong perspective is far from God, maybe hates another people group, another race. 
They still need Jesus. And I'm not going to give up on them. I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to love them. And I'm going to believe that God can change their perspective. Why? Because he changed mine. Because he changed yours. Here's the problem. What we do is we say good, bad. But the gospel says, no, you're all bad. The gospel says you're all bad. The Bible tells us there, are, there is no one good. No, not one. That's why we need Christ. And that's why we have to recognize, yes, people have wrong perspectives. Yes, people are broken. But it's Christ that changes their mentality. It's Christ that changes their perspective. So I cannot give up on them. I cannot stop, you know, connecting with them. I must pray for them. Believe that God can change them. You see, I'm calling you to a greater purpose. Your purpose is more than your job. It's more than, than making money. It's more than just building a family. Here's your purpose. Your purpose is to build a family that fears and loves God. Your purpose is to make money so you can invest in the kingdom of God. Your purpose is to go to your job so you can be a light in the darkness. Salt in a, in a world that needs to feel your saltiness in a good way. I hate that the term salty happened. Now it's, it's messed it all up for me biblically. You have a greater purpose, church. It's a kingdom purpose. And this culture is trying to deceive us and trying to shift our perspective to an earthly perspective rather than a heavenly perspective. That we are peacemakers unifiers we carry the love and the light of Christ the darkness is dark and what the church has done for too long is gotten mad at the dark for being dark and we even even cancel the dark for being dark and we're angry at the dark for being dark rather than asking why is the light not brighter than it is why are we not allowing ourselves to step into the darkness and say I'm here with the light because when light steps into darkness it illuminates everything around it and it begins to change that which is dark and shift it into that which could be light last finally fourth if my keys would come back and make me sound spiritual A last leader, what do they look like? They're committed to servant leadership. That's what they're committed to. Committed to servant leadership. Chrissy and I actually, uh, we launched out, you know, eight years ago. This church is seven years old, coming up on eight years old. And, uh, we went off to Tahoe eight plus years ago and we sat down and we began to write down the core values of this church. And we said, these values are what our church is going to be built on. This is what this church is going to be all about. And we went through, we wrote down nine core values and we called them our blueprints, which is why now our, we have the blueprint coffee project out here. Get some coffee. And uh, we wrote these nine down, and it was actually a couple of years ago we realized that we had one missing. So a couple of years ago, we added our 10th and final blueprint, which is servanthood is our calling. 
that we're called to be servants, to serve. And so this mentality, this perspective of servant leadership, it feels sometimes like an oxymoron. Like leadership, that means you're, you're at the top, you're in charge. I mean, you run the show. No, being a leader means you serve. That's what Jesus said. We have a saying around here. We say, if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And sometimes we walk out in this world, this idea of I want to be a leader, I want to be a leader, and we're constantly trying to elevate ourselves rather than saying, if you serve, that's what true leadership looks like. So what happens here? Jesus goes on and he gets to verse 42 and he says, you know those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Everybody say that. Say, not be so among us. But whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the Gentile leaders are the, were the pharaohs, the Caesars, the Napoleons, the politicians. And they lorded it over those in whom they had leadership of. But Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. You aren't Lord, you're last. You don't elevate yourself, you lower yourself. You want to lead, you serve. Humble leadership is rare in this culture and in this country. Why? Because we built platforms on pride, on personality, on charisma. We haven't built leadership on character and integrity and servanthood. And what happens is if you build your platform, before you build your character, you're bound to fall. And we're watching right now. I mean, it's happening in the church world, and some of you don't pay attention to this, and good for you. You probably shouldn't. But I'm watching as pastors, well-known pastors, celebrity pastors are falling one after another. Boom, fall, fall, fall. Why? Because they have this platform. But if your character isn't built to the level of the platform, you're going to fall and you're going to fail. The problem is they were elevated before they probably served. They learned what it was like to be served rather than to serve. And Jesus said, not in my kingdom. That's not what my disciples look like. That's not what my followers look like. Man, we were a set-up, tear-down church for six, seven years. Over seven years. And thank you, Jesus, for this building. Come on, somebody. Oh, my goodness. The first week in here, we just, like, we did church, and then we just left. And I was like, what just happened? Like, we did church. I just walked out. But for seven-plus years, man, I was here in the morning. Our team was here in the morning. Our pastor was here setting up church. 
And then we'd be here for an hour and a half after tearing down church, loading U-Hauls, loading trailers, man. And I'll tell you this, I believe God developed the character of this church for seven years and we're going to be ready for the platform that I believe is only going to grow and the influence and the favor that I'm watching being poured out in this church, which is just at the beginning. But God's like, no, I was mad at God. After four years, I'm like, God, are you for real? Like, give us a building, God. Dang. I'm praying. I pray. I thank God that he said, not yet. He said, you're not ready. Your character isn't ready. The character of your church isn't ready. The heart of your people isn't ready. Why? I got to develop servant leaders before I can build a greater platform. So some of you are despising the season you're in, and God wanted to remind you, he's building you into who you need to be. He's building the character you need to have. To have. Otherwise, when that thing comes, that platform comes, that influence comes, you're going to mess it up. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. I was going to dig into this and give you a bunch of Greek words, but I've already gone long. I really wanted to share, you know, I went through, I have a, I have a degree, a, a, a master's degree in theological studies. I wanted to share all the Greek words that I know, but I'm going to skip it. Go watch the 9 a.m. I threw it in there real quick. You can watch it online. Here's what prideful leaders do. Prideful leaders take too much credit and pass too much blame. That's what prideful leaders look like. Servant leaders share all the glory. They share all the credit. And when the blame comes, they take it. They shoulder it. And you need to allow this to soak into your spirit because you guys are leading. This wasn't just about the church. This is about you as the church. This isn't about Project Church. It's about you being the church at your jobs, in your homes, with your family. Husbands, serve your wives. Maybe you need to say no to that boy's night. Wives, serve your husbands. Maybe you need to say yes to that boy's night. He needs some time away. Yesterday, my wife, I said, babe, I want to go watch the Masters with a bunch of my homies. And she said, go. And I said, thank you. Serve. So wives, serve. Husbands, serve. Servant leaders, that's what God is calling us to. So I, I, I'm going to close with this. My son, both my sons now, but my oldest has been playing longer, are playing golf. And it's Masters weekend, so I'm just in golf mode right now. And uh, a couple, you know, months back, my son, my nine-year-old, he just turned nine, had his first tournament. And his first tournament, he, he needed a caddy. And so naturally, like, dad's going to be caddy, right? So I'm like, I got you, son. Like, let's go. So I'm out there. I'm carrying the bag. And I got the towel over the shoulder. And he hits a shot, and I take his club, and I take the towel, and I clean off his club. And then the ball gets a little dirty. I take his ball, and I spit on it, clean off his ball. Here you go, son. He's like, dad, I need my driver. Got you, son. Here you go. Caddy. Here's the thing, I love to play golf, but I have loved caddying for my son even more. And I was thinking about it, I'm like, why do I love, like I'm literally serving this nine-year-old. 
Like whatever he wants. I'm like, yes, son, here you go. You need a marker? I got you. Oh, you need me to clean that? Let me clean it. The other day I was like, son, hit, hit an iron off this tee. He's like, nah, dad, I'm hitting driver. Okay. Gave me, he didn't even listen to me. Kind of like y'all with God. Then he hit the driver into the bunker. I was like, told you. See, God does the same thing to you. Told you. Just listen. But I was thinking, I'm like, why am I so apt to want to serve? Because I love him. Because I want to see him thrive. I want to see him succeed. I want to see his purpose fulfilled. And so it's easy for me to go into caddy mode. Let me clean that club. I got you some. What do you need? Let me give you that read. And I'm just hyping him up. You're the man. What a shot. It's so easy to serve. Why? Because I love him. I want to see him succeed. That's how God sees you. The problem is that's not how we see others. And God is wanting to remind us that every person you come across is my child. My son and my daughter. I would serve my son in anything he wanted to do. My dad now works for me. Come on, you see it? I tell him whatever. I tell him to do everything. He does it. It's amazing. No, I just can't. <laughs> Love you, Dad. It doesn't work that way. But Why? Because there's a, there's a connection. There's a love. The same way I believe God is wanting to remind us that you would carry love in your heart and your spirit. That when you come across people that God asks you to serve, you say, I want to serve. Why? Because I'm going to help them find their purpose. I want to point them to Jesus. I want to show them what true life looks like, what true hope looks like. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to throw it in real quick. The word ransom is the Greek word lutron. Now, this Greek word lutron was the fee that a male or female slave had to come up with in order to purchase their freedom. Here's the problem. No slave could ever have enough, make enough, um, acquire enough money to buy their own freedom. It never happened. And Jesus said, I came to be the ransom for many, the lutron for many. Why? The only way a servant would be set free was if someone else came along and paid the price for their freedom. What Jesus says, he says, I'm the ransom. I'm the lutron. You could never do enough good to pay the price for your failures, for your sin, for your freedom. Jesus said, I'll pay the price. I'll take it. I'll step in. I'll be the one. I'll pay it for them. Why? So they could have life and life to the fullest. Jesus showed us what a last leader looks like, what a servant leader looks like. And today I want to call you that we would have that same heart. That we say, I live to serve. I'm not Lord. I say, I'll be last, Jesus. Today, God wants someone in this room to respond to him. You've tried to do enough good to pay the price. And God wanted to tell you, you could never do enough. That's why Jesus became the Lutron, the ransom, 
That's why he paid the price because you couldn't do it on your own, but he did it. And all you have to do is confess him, believe in him and receive him and you will be saved. Would you bow your heads with me across this room? If you're here, you say, Caleb, that's me. If you're online, you say, Caleb, that's me. I need Jesus. I've tried to do it my way. I've tried to do it in my strength. I've tried to be good and I messed up time and time again. And today I need to respond to Jesus Christ to salvation maybe for the first time maybe to rededicate my life i want you to lift your hand in the room online one two three go yes hands are already going up yes 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 come on church make some noise hands going up around the room that's what it's about online in the room i want you all to repeat this prayer after me say it with me say jesus thank you for paying the price for being the lutron for paying the ransom so I could receive freedom. I love you, Jesus. And today, I confess my sin. I ask you to lead me, to fill me, to guide me. I commit myself to you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand to our feet across this room, church? Come on, let's give God some praise as we stand. He's so good. We're going to sing one last song. And I want us, as we sing, I want you in your heart to say, God, today I'm committing to be a last leader. That I would serve. That I would be last, not Lord. In all aspects of my life. Come on, sing this with us, church. Lift your voices before we go. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.